I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If there's some Dutch till in there, it's going to go in the bin. If there's some spot color, it's going to go in the bin, you know. Welcome to the Way Up North podcast, an interview podcast by us at Nordica Photography, where my colleague Cole interviews the speakers coming to Way Up North 2015 in Stockholm. My name is Jacob, and uh, we've made it to speaker number three now in this podcast series. This week's guest is Kat Williams, founder of Rock and Roll Bride, one of the largest wedding blogs in the world. She's got blue hair, and if you Google her, you'll also find a lot of photos of her in pink hair. And due to that badass hair and many other things, her online brand is perhaps the one that stands out the most out of all the larger wedding blogs out there. So she's done a great job with her branding and we are very happy to have her present that way up north this fall. Hopefully we'll all get some concrete tips and ideas on how to get our weddings featured. We recorded Kat's podcast once, but partly because the audio quality wasn't very good, the first time around, and also because Kat wasn't really happy with some of her answers, we decided to redo it the second time. And uh, this time around the audio is much better and Kat is happy, so hopefully you'll like it. And finally, before we start, we want to remind you that if you want more information, like links to the things Kat talks about, uh, you can download the Acast app and listen there. Alright, here we go. Kat Williams, April 2015. You know when you do something and then you think about it and I was like, that answer was rubbish. That answer was rubbish. No, that's just great. No, it, it's good. I mean, the audio, um, it didn't turn out too great, to be honest. Okay. So it sounds really good now. So it's good for everybody. Second time lucky. So, Kat, who are you? I am Kat Williams and I run the blog Rock and Roll Blide. Bride? <laughs> Rock and Roll Blide? <laughs> Rock and Roll Bride. Um, I also have a magazine and I run a workshop called the Blog Academy, which teaches um, bloggers or entrepreneurs how to use blogs and the internet in general to progress their businesses. So I have many hats. So you're a hardcore entrepreneur. I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and where are you, where are you right now? Um, so I live in a town called Reading, which is very exciting. It's just outside London. Um, and in Reading, I'm in my office in my house, which is where I live and work. Why is Reading exciting? Um, well, there's probably one exciting thing about Reading and that there's a rock festival that happens here every year. But apart from that, it's just a town. <laughs> and is it a town that you grew up in? Yes. Yeah, I grew up here my whole life. Um, I left when I went to university, but Gareth, my boyfriend, who is now my husband, was here. So I just came back and we bought a house. And my parents are around the corner, so, you know, it's good to go for Sunday lunch. Your wild colored hair, did that come from the rock festival in Reading? Were you inspired when you were young to dye your hair? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Reading festival was kind of my first introduction to any kind of alternative kind of lifestyle. Um, I started going when I was 14, maybe. Um, and like seeing bands and, you know, being introduced to new kinds of people and staying out all night and doing crazy things. So I guess that was kind of my first introduction to things that weren't just, you know, the Spice Girls and MTV or whatever. Because if anyone listening to this conversation has never seen a picture of you, you've got some awesome tattoos. You've also got some extremely colorful hair. Um, the, the hair has gone from pink to blue, it looks like right now. So this is sort of your signature and it sounds like something that maybe would have started when you were a little bit younger. So what were you like in your teens? I was horrible. <laughs> Doesn't everybody say that? Um, yeah, I had quite a tough teenage life, actually. Um, I kind of went off the rails a bit when I was about 15. 
and various things happened and it was hard. Um, so my poor parents. <laughs> but I guess the kind of self-expression with coloured hair and tattoos kind of came from that in a way. Like you know, I got my first tattoo when I was 15, very ill-advised. Um, but yeah, it kind of yeah it came from that and I kind of haven't really grown up, <laughs> I guess. So off the rails in what way? I mean, were you into drugs? Were you a party animal? Like what, what kind of off the rails would you, or you, what do you mean? I mean, I was definitely a party animal. Um, me and my friends started going out to pubs and stuff when we were 14, 15. Um, I had some quite difficult like mental issues. I suffered from depression. I had an eating disorder. I was just an awful, I was just not in a very happy place at all. I was a very depressed teenager and young adult. Um, and I kind of didn't really come out of that until I got married, really, ironically. Um, so, yeah. As a as a youth, then, it sounds like you, you kind of, like, express yourselves in, in different ways. Maybe the hair color, maybe the tattoos. Yeah. What other sorts of things did you do to express yourself? Were you into artistic things? Were you, were you in a band? <laughs> um, I did start to learn the bass because me and my friends wanted to be like a girl rock band. Um, and I was shit. <laughs> like, I just couldn't get it. Like, it just wasn't in my skill set. Um, I always kind of wanted to be creative in some way, but I just wasn't quite sure what I exactly wanted to do to express that. Like, I tried a lot of different things. So, you know, I played instruments. I did art, but I was never really very good. I did photography when I got to college. I wasn't really very good. Um, you know, I studied film at university. I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wasn't really very good. Um, so I always kind of had this desire to do something a bit more creative and expressive, but it took me a long time to actually find it. And I think um, when I went to uni um, and I did film, a lot of it was kind of essay writing. And I realized I actually really liked writing. And even though I couldn't spell for shit, I was actually quite good at expressing myself in that way. Um, so it kind of took a little while to find my thing and figure out that kind of writing was something that I really enjoyed and wasn't that bad at. Well, your writing now speaks for itself. It's it's awesome. Uh, I always enjoy reading your posts. Do you remember the first thing that you wrote that you were very proud of when you wrote it and you reread it and you thought to yourself, OK, maybe writing is a path I can go down? Um, gosh, that's a hard question. Um, I mean, at uni, I always thought my, the essays and stuff came quite easily to me. Like I always found it was, I was quite good at expressing what I had to say. I didn't seem to struggle finding the words, but that's kind of boring because it was work. Um, but in terms of like writing on the blog and stuff, it definitely took me like a few years to find my groove. I mean, my first posts are really terrible. Um, it's really, really embarrassing. And I guess even now I look back and I think, oh, that's not that good. But I don't know, really. Well, photographers often look back on their first pictures and cringe. So I'm sure I'm sure every every artistic expression, the artist probably feels very similar. It's all part of the process, right? So going back to how you were raised, like what was your house like? What did your parents do and, and what kind of environment were you raised in? Um, it was quite normal, I guess. Like I have two younger sisters. My parents are still together. Um, it was quite a traditional upbringing, I guess. Um, my whole family went to church. Uh, I would go to like the youth group and stuff until I got to about 15. And then I was like, fuck this, I'm going to the pub. Um, um, so you're so you were raised in a religious household? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, not like, I mean, they were quite strict. I think I was the oldest too. So I kind of got it the worst. I remember my my two younger sisters are two years younger than me and four years younger than me and I would look at what they would get away with at my age and I'd be like oh you got it so much easier I think because I was the oldest I was like you know the guinea pig so they were a lot more stricter with me but looking back I know they did it because I was just awful and <laughs> they had to kind of be a bit strict with me. Were you really that awful though or are you just being hard on yourselves and like you're a little older now and you can look back at how you were and you keep saying that you were awful but were, were you really? I mean... I wasn't a very nice person. I was very depressed and very angry um, and very rebellious in terms of like just being horrible to my parents and my sisters. You know, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't really breaking the law apart from, I guess, going into pubs underage and kissing lots of boys. Um, I wasn't like stealing or anything like that or doing really hard drugs, but I don't know, it was a tough time. In my mind, when when you're in your teens, like those are those are sort of vulnerable years, I think that affect, you know, who you become as an adult. 
And it's interesting to me when I think about entrepreneurs and, and people who, you know, work from home and things like that and, and really have no peers, that can sometimes be attributed to how they were as teens. What are your, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think you became a self-employed entrepreneur uh, because of the rebellious youth? Or, or do you think there's any connection at all to, to how you were in your rebel years to now? I mean, ironically, even though I was quite horrible, um, when it came to work, I was always very studious. I was actually quite a bit of a nerd, which is a weird, like, juxtaposition. Um, I was always quite good at doing my schoolwork and shit, which, yeah, it was a weird combination. Um, and I always, I didn't, I felt like I wasn't as intelligent as my younger sisters. They both went to private school, whereas I didn't. Um, and I always felt like I had to work a little bit harder to be seen as not dumb you know <laughs> um so yeah I would always get my homework in on time and I would always get like A's and B's um I think I'm going off track I can't remember what the question was <laughs> oh yeah I remember um so yeah when it came to like starting my own business even though I really only started it as a hobby I wanted to do it really well and I've always been quite like driven and competitive in that way really so that you mentioned that you felt depressed uh, in your teenage years. And I'm interested in that because I know a lot of people who have suffered from depression and kind of have conquered that. Mm -hmm. But some of the people I know can can look back at when they actually felt depressed for the first time. Do you remember that feeling? Oh, this is like a therapy <laughs> session. <laughs> I want to get to know you, Kat. <laughs> um, so I guess it all kind of started about the age of 14, 15. I did a lot of like therapy and counseling and stuff like that and we never really got to the root of what like the problem was um but I was like definitely clinically depressed you know I was on very strong um antidepressants and doing lots of intensive therapy um but we never really figured out like what it was I mean there is a little bit of history of it in my family um yeah yeah men mental illness is it's a it's a difficult subject to speak about, but it's curious to me that that now you you seem confident to me. What I mean, I look at your online um, brand and your online personality and who I think you are, and to me, you seem like a, an extrovert with a ton of confidence. But it sounds like maybe it hasn't always been that way. Mm, well, that's very nice of you to say. Um, I'm definitely an extrovert. I mean, I thrive being around people and talking to people. I actually don't do that well when I'm on my own. I get bored and restless very easily. Um, and I've definitely turned a corner, obviously, in how I feel about myself and how I look at the world. Um, when I look back at how I used to be, like everything was very much a glass half empty, you know, and now I'm much more of a glass half full girl. I mean, obviously, I still have days where the demons creep in sometimes and I think that I'm rubbish at everything that I do and what's the point. But for the most part, I'm definitely... A much more happy positive person now um, and I think that has come about because I have done a lot of work on myself like as I said I had a shit ton of counseling um, and my husband Gareth is <clears throat> like just brilliant support system and if ever you know I start sort of putting outwards that I'm looking depressed or whatever he can pick up on it really quickly um, and that's been really instrumental to me really and Gareth has kind of the main reason I guess that I got better like I couldn't have done it without him really so oh, that's beautiful that's that's yeah. nice to hear so we'll move away from this topic in a second we don't need to keep going on about it but now that you know yourself and, and you know how to sort of conquer the demons if you want to if you want to say it that way do you do you help others who might be feeling the same way maybe at the age you used to be when when you kind of were at your lowest like are you are you an aide in counseling groups or anything like that I'm not, no, but I always try, um, I write a lot of blog posts about like body image and <clears throat> not depression necessarily, but just like feeling, you know, relating it back to my audience who might be, you know, a bride getting married and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I will often put things on Instagram about, you know, you're beautiful or you don't know how great you are. And those are often some of the posts and updates that get the biggest reaction. Um, I put a post up of, few months ago and I'd I'd been to like um a fashion show thing and there was a person doing those metallic tattoos like temporary ones um and she put one on my arm and I wanted to Instagram it um when I took the photo I realized like I have quite a lot of scars on my arm from when I used to self-harm um and I realized that they were really obvious and I opened up my like 
Instagram app to, you know, edit out the scars like my Facetune app. Um, and I kind of stopped myself and thought, you know what, if I put this photo up unedited and I kind of put a caption about how, you know, coming through adversity or how, you know, you're beautiful on the inside or something, that will probably help people more than just, oh, here's some cool thing I got given at a show. Um, and it was one of my most liked Instagrams ever. I think it had like over 700 likes or something which is a lot. So um, although it's not really my main focus, it's something I definitely try and bring into my work occasionally. Not too much. I don't really want it to be the kind of thing that defines me. That's not really what my blog's about, but definitely on, on the odd occasion, I will allude to it and try and help people in that way. Well, thanks for, thanks for talking about this because if, I'm going to be honest, I, like, I never would have called this. Like, and as I said, like I, I, I do follow what you do online, pretty much on all the channels, as most wedding photographers probably do. They should at least. And yeah, I, know, I would never have guessed uh, that it's, that the things you share stem from such a such a place. So that's that's uh, that's cool of you to be so open about. No worries. I think it's important to talk about. And yeah, as I said, it's not the thing I want to define me and my business, but it's something that I'm not ashamed to talk about when it's relevant. You know. All right, so to switch gears, you mentioned that you were going to be a filmmaker. Was that right? Or that was your aspiration, your dream, maybe when you were a teen, is it? Yeah, I went to um, university and did film studies because I wanted to do something, you know, either in television or film or something. I wasn't quite sure what, but it was something I was interested in at that time, yeah. Where did you study film? Um, at Kent University in Canterbury. Yeah. Kent, England. So, so did you the finish? Of England. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you finish a program? What kind of program was it? Was it a diploma or a bachelor degree? Or yeah, it was a bachelor of arts. Um, I did finish. I got a two one. I was like two points off a of first, which was again very annoying because both my sisters got firsts. <laughs> um, not that we're competitive at all. Um, and after I finished it, uh, you know, obviously I had to get a job because I had to you know, eat and pay bills and Gareth and I wanted to buy a house. Um, so I did kind of running jobs in London, like in Soho, you know, administrative jobs in um, television studios and stuff. Um, and then I got offered a job at a shopping channel, which is, you know, not really the dream, but it was a full time job. And considering what I was earning as a runner, which was like £10,000 a year, uh, the pay was pretty good. And there was kind of uh, space to progress so I took that job and I did that for six years um and even though it wasn't really like the dream a lot of people that were there were there because you know again it paid the bills they really wanted to make you know proper television or proper movies um but I actually really liked it and the people there were really cool and it was actually really fun um so I kind of fell into that in a way and then I basically left because I started my blog and it took over started making more money from the blog so <laughs> while you were studying uh, I'm not too sure how the education system is in England but while 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 you were studying did you have time to do other things like did you have uh, hobbies on the side while you were studying or maybe a part-time job or something like that I worked in bars basically um, I did have a lot of free time but I university was probably my toughest time mentally um, in what way? Well, I mean, and was it like uh, academically challenging or did you have things distracting you outside of the academic no, world? Um, no, it wasn't that academically challenging. It was university was probably the time when my eating disorder was its toughest and its most prolific. Um, so I struggled a lot with just living, basically. So I would just not do that much stuff apart from work in a pub and do my lessons. <laughs> it was a hard hard time holy shit you've battled you've battled through a lot yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> it was yeah i guess <laughs> wow i'm learning something new today yeah the whole internet's gonna learn something new <laughs> well no that's that's the reason why we're doing this podcast is we we want the listeners to know who you are i mean it would be easy for them to go to your to your site and see what you do but but part of the Part of the reason why people do what they do is it comes from a different place and often it's, it's who you are. So that's what we're curious about. Yeah. So when you're going to school, it sounded like it was it was a pretty tough time. Um, is that where you when you met Gareth? I actually met Gareth when I was 16. Um, 
in a pub <laughs> seems to be a recurring pattern here um i'm not an alcoholic i promise um yeah i met him in a bar i was 16 he was 21 um maybe i was 17 um and then we got together just before i went to university at 18 um and we managed to survive the whole distance thing while i was away studying and then um I came home and we basically, I moved back home for two weeks and was like, fuck this, we need to move in together. <laughs> so we bought, uh, we rented a place and moved in together straight out of uni. So you've known him for quite a while. Is he from your hometown? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he was my, probably my first serious boyfriend. I had a couple of boyfriends before him that didn't really last that long. Um, but yeah, he was the first kind of long term serious boyfriend. Oh, bless. Damn, this sounds like a movie. This is very romantic. <laughs> so when you finished school, you um, you mentioned that you got a job at a shopping channel. And if you like to shop, wouldn't that have been the dream job to be involved in that world? You would think, but the stuff we would sell wasn't really the stuff I wanted to buy. What kind of stuff would they sell? It was like towels that were very, very popular. Egyptian cotton towels and like these amazing globes made of gemstones which were really expensive. And we, we had a limited edition pink one once. And I, now I really wish I'd bought it because it was so kitsch and so amazing. Um, like lots of crockery and horrible like ornaments and stuff. It was like for older people. Wow. So what, <laughs> I say wow because I'm picturing trying to watch this channel. And I would There's have, plenty I, of it on YouTube. It's amazing. I would need to drink quite a few beers to get settled into that, I think. It was actually one of those things because it was live, which is even better. So it was live like 16 hours a day. And um, it was one of those things that you would put on in the background and you would just like have it on. So like so like a log DVD where you're watching logs and a fire just burn pointlessly. <laughs> yes. It's like slow television. <laughs> yeah. So what was your role? Like uh, you're the producer, you said? Yes, I was the producer. So I was kind of behind the scenes um, in charge of the ship. So I would... Um, produce three hours of live television a day and I'd kind of sit at the back and like oversee the director and the vision mixer and the sound guy and the floor manager and the presenters and stuff and the cameras and yeah it was fun I was in charge which I like. <laughs> so uh, straight out of university into this job uh, that's a pretty good transition isn't it? Yeah um, I worked my way up so my first job there was as like an assistant producer um, a gallery assistant, an assistant producer, and I became a producer maybe after like two or three years. Um, so yeah. So uh, outside of money, um, because you mentioned you left that job because blogging made you more income, but uh, like a money money aside, um, why didn't you stick with going down that path? Because to me, it seems like television and you know being a producer could have been a, a career that would have had a lot of fulfillment artistically. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a good job I didn't stay there because the shopping channel has shut down now, <laughs> so I would have been out of a job. Um, I mean, actually, I found the blogging a lot more creatively satisfying. I mean, yes, I could have tried to go down the, you know, making other kinds of television route, but once I found blogging and I had that community there um, and that kind of instant feedback and connecting with people online, which I'd always done, I, I was always very much into forums and groups on Flickr and all that kind of stuff. Um, and connecting with people online was something that I loved doing. And I actually found blogging a lot more fulfilling and satisfying than the thought of working for the X Factor or whatever. Um, so yeah, I actually decided blogging was the way forward for me at that point. <laughs> And what, what year was this when you made the transition from being a producer to a blogger? So I went part-time um, in mid-2010, and then I left uh, Bid TV completely in January 2011. So 2010, was that the year that you started the blog? I started in 2007. And, and why did you go ahead and start a blog about wedding weddings? Um, I basically started it because I wanted to have a place to kind of talk about my wedding, really. Uh, as I said, I was very much into forums and like groups on Flickr and things like that. And, you know, what would have been, you know, Facebook groups now, I just wanted to like chat to people online. Um, and yeah, I just started like a free blog spot blog to kind of talk about 
you know, these are my bridesmaid dresses and this is my wedding dress and this is the theme I'm having and I found this wedding on the internet and isn't it cool? Um, it wasn't supposed to be like a career or anything. It was just a place for me to talk about my wedding, um, which I think a lot of brides actually like to do. Um, and yeah, after we got married in 2008, I decided that I didn't want to just stop doing it because, you know, I was really enjoying blogging and I had this very small community of people that would comment on my blog and I'd comment on their blogs. And this was kind of before most social media. So it was all happening on the blogs. Um, and I kind of just carried on writing about the kind of weddings I was inspired by and the things that I found and I thought were cool. And it took more of an alternative kind of track because that's kind of who I was and um then it just became a beast and people wanted to like pay to be on it and people wanted to submit me their weddings and that's obviously a very short version of what happened it was like five years but yeah that's kind of the cliff notes so it sounds like building an empire is super easy well no <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding okay well when you started your blog okay it was 2007 it was blogspot.com and you were in your creating posts about your own wedding I'm curious how do you make the transition from from like your own wedding like the wedding happened and now it's done how do you make the transition from that to maintaining this interest in, in other people's weddings and, and continue to create content about other things in the wedding industry well, like everything, it seems in my life, it kind of happened by accident and very organically. <laughs> um, because I, at the end of 2009, I think, I was trying to put analytics on my site. I'm really untechnical, by the way. Like Gareth, my husband, has to do everything for me, like technically. Like I know how to type a, a blog post and upload pictures, and that's about it. Um, I was trying to put analytics on my site to see how many people I actually had reading the blog and somehow I managed to delete the whole thing, which was obviously very clever of me. The entire blog or the entire, the entire blog? Oh, like no. to this day, Gareth has no idea how I did it. He's like, surely there was like seven pop-ups that were like, are you sure you want to delete this? Are you sure? <laughs> but I have a tendency to not read things and just click away wildly because I'm annoying like that. But um, yeah, I somehow deleted the whole thing which was, you know, awful. And I cried and I was like, oh, my readers won't be able to find me. Um, and Gareth was like, look, if you're going to carry on doing this, you might as well do it properly. So we bought the domain, the .com. We switched over to WordPress because he said, oh, WordPress is better. It's, you know, a better option than Blogspot. Um, and I kind of had to start again. Um, and we managed to pull some of my blog posts from Google Cache. Um, but a lot of them were gone forever. And I'm actually quite glad because they were really mortifying. Um, so that kind of moment forced me to reevaluate what I was doing. So it was like, I think it was the beginning of 2009 by this point. So it was like, look, I was married a year ago. I can't keep banging on about our wedding. I need to figure out what the point of this is. Um, and so I kind of morphed it into more of a place to talk about other people's weddings and share inspiration that I was finding online, a lot of it in the States at that time, because the UK wedding industry was a lot further behind. Um, and yeah, making it more helpful to other people. Um, you know, I found that when I was engaged, I would buy all the wedding magazines, but I found them quite boring and quite uninspiring and samey. Um, and I guess over time I figured out that I, there was this little niche for alternative weddings and I kind of filled it so becoming a blogger as a career it's it, it's more accepted now I think than you know 10 years ago or 2008 when when you really yeah. got serious about it so you decided to call yourself a blogger what was that like like embarrassing <laughs> um it's weird because, yeah, I mean, even now people, a lot of people will be like, oh, how do you make any money? What, what, what when are you going to get a proper job? Um, so a lot of the time I'll just say I'm an editor. Um, or, you know, if it's an older person, I might say, oh, I have a magazine rather than saying, oh, I have a blog because they kind of understand what that is. Um, so, yeah. Well, you grew up, it, essentially, you know, you grew up with the blogging lifestyle. And, and what I mean by that is, 2005 mid 2000s or, or whenever you want to say like that's when becoming a blogger or even online dating you know where you meet people online like the millennial culture has sort of accepted this online world as being um being an okay place to be yeah but when you were doing that back at the time did you did you see the longevity in what you were doing did you see it as a viable career because it's easy to answer that right now because 
it is. I mean, millennials have accepted that, but but back back then, did you see it as something that could have longevity? No, it was definitely just a hobby um, for a long time. I didn't, as I said, I'm not that technically savvy. Um, so I didn't really know that you could make money on the internet. I was like, I didn't know what a Google ad was. I didn't know what all these things were. Um, so yeah, it kind of just happened because I was focusing on producing good content that I was enjoying. Um, and then people in the industry wanted to be a part of it. So they then wanted to pay to be on the site. And I was like, oh, this can happen. Okay. Um, it kind of happened accidentally in a way. So outside of the commerce side of, of running a blog in the beginning, why were you motivated to focus so much on weddings? I don't know, really. I think because I really enjoyed planning my wedding. Um, I really enjoyed getting married. It was like amazing. Um, as soon as it was over, I wanted to do it all over again. Um, and because I'd started this blog and it had this very small community of people around it, we would, you know, talk to each other and comment on each other's blogs and stuff. I didn't just want to like jack it all in once I got married. I felt like they were my friends. Um, and it just kind of, yeah, grew very naturally from there. Did you look at other blogs that, that existed at that time and sort of draw ideas and inspiration from, from their business models? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think in the beginning when you're learning, you know, whether it's as a photographer or a blogger or whatever, you look at your peers and you kind of in a way copy their ideas because you don't know what is right and what is wrong and I think in the early days a lot of other bloggers kind of got annoyed with each other because they thought they were all ripping off each other's ideas and I know sort of 2009 was the time when a couple of other UK bloggers wedding bloggers started before that I was the only one and 2009 there was definitely like undercurrents of animosity between wedding bloggers that were all trying to do it as a business because like by that point I was earning a bit of money um because everyone thought everyone was copying everybody else um and I guess it's all it's all just part of the process of learning what works and what doesn't work and if you're doing things right because you don't know what's right and what's wrong you know at that point um and I definitely had a few gut-wrenching emails from other bloggers saying you copied this idea and but it's all part of what you know the process and kind of happens apologize for it and move on <laughs> i'm picturing like like newsroom where they all kind of gathered the different news channels you know in that movie and they sort of had it out in a park i'm picturing wedding bloggers and in, in London. like anchorman yeah anchorman that, that's totally it. Yeah. yeah totally it'd be a lot more hair pulling probably so when like back back to what i was sort of thinking a little bit like outside of the wedding blogging industry what what were some specific sites that you were looking at that you thought okay they're doing it right they're they're someone who they have a model that I can sort of follow um well I think I did start quite near the beginning of blogging taking off like I know like the first blog was probably 2004 or something um but you know most of the blogs I were looking at were kind of at a similar level to me like I think Green Wedding Shoes, Ruffled, and Style Me Pretty all kind of started in the same year, all about 2007, 2008. So we kind of were doing it together. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I used to read A Beautiful Mess, but again, I think they kind of started at the same, a similar sort of time, if I'm not wrong. Um, my friend, now my friend, um, Gala Darling, has a lifestyle blog that I started reading kind of 2008, 2009. Um, from the outside, she seemed to have it all down. She knew exactly what she was doing. Now I know her personally. I know that was not the case. <laughs> um, but yeah, lifestyle kind of fashiony blogs. I read a lot. When you when you started out, I, I'm I'm picturing like with wedding photographers, for example. When, when you start out, it, it feels like there's a lot of hustle. It rare, rarely do you create work that's so extraordinary. You don't need to worry about finding your next client. So as a blogger, when you were starting out, like what was your version of the hustle? Well, the other thing is that, you know, I was blogging for, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, five years before I quit my job because I wanted to build up some savings. I didn't want to just like quit and be like, I'm a blogger. Oh shit, I can't pay my rent. Um, so, you know, I wasn't doing it full time for a long time. And I guess that kind of gave me a big safety net that I could, you know, I, I would work night shifts so I could blog during the day and then do my job that paid the bill at nighttime. Um, 
so it did happen quite slowly. I mean, five years is a long time to be doing something without really earning any income, but I just loved it so much that I would do it. I would still do it if I wasn't getting paid. Um, so, you know, I definitely worked my ass off to build, you know, a community and get in with photographers who would potentially be advertisers or submit me weddings. Um, but in terms of, you know, actually having to hustle to make money, I didn't so much because I had that safety net for a long time. And even hustling to, to market the site, did you need to do that? Or do you feel like you had an audience or did you actually like try and overtly promote the site once you knew that it was going to be your full-time position? Um, again, it happened quite naturally and organically. You know, it took a long time. If I was starting a blog now, I definitely would have to market it a bit more aggressively because I wouldn't want to wait another five years until I built my audience organically. Um, so, you know, I didn't really do any marketing. It just kind of, I mean, I guess I was very lucky in that I accidentally stumbled upon this niche that nobody else was talking about. So the people that found my blog that were also interested in a slightly more alternative lifestyle followed me instantly and shared it with all their friends because it was something they couldn't get elsewhere. And I guess that was my biggest marketing kind of tactic. It was just being very different and offering something nobody else did. And even though, you know, my audience is never going to be as big as, say, Star Me Pretty, who, you know, reach a much more traditional, broader audience, um, my audience will always be a lot smaller because, you know, there's not as many people that want alternative weddings in the world. Um, but my audience is fiercely loyal and they will share my stuff and their favorite things and they'll pin things because they can't get that stuff elsewhere. So. And that seems to derive from you, you know, putting so much content on the site and the social media that is, it's you, really. So it, it feels like you curate stuff that you like, but you share as much about of your own personal experiences and things like that. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that people like about my site is that it's definitely got my voice. And I think that's the beauty of blogs, you know, like blogs shouldn't be the same as magazines where magazines have a huge team of people and you don't really know whose voice it is. Where with a blog, it's like one person's opinion and one person's voice. Um, and a lot, in fact, I think most of the big wedding blogs these days have all lost that because they've all got teams of people and, you know, that's fine and that's gross. And when you're thinking about your bottom line, maybe that's something they want to do. But for me personally, I'm very happy to keep it just me writing the stuff and curating the content and, you know, doing my emails and people appreciate that it's me and my voice. And that sounds a little bit egotistical, but that's kind of what I like about blogs. You know, the my favorite kind of lifestyle blogs. I know, you know, I feel like I know the person that I'm reading and I'm getting their opinion about stuff. And I think that's kind of the beauty of blogging over, say, magazine editing. Boutique blogging. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, photographers... Um were a big part of your network when you started out. Why, why do you think photographers gravitated towards you and, and vice versa? Because it sounded like you sort of gravitated towards them as well. Yeah, I mean, I've always been quite a visual person and the photography was something that I enjoyed looking at, I guess. Um, I was a member of, I can't even remember the name of the group now. It was like starting your own wedding photography business on Flickr. SWPB. Um, yes, I was a member of that group, like maybe 2009 to 2011. Um, and there was people in there like Jonas was in there. Um, a lot of UK wedding photographers were in there and, um, we would, you know, they would share their work. And if I saw something I liked, I'd be like, Hey, I've got this blog. I'd love to feature it. Um, and there'd be a lot of conversations about, you know, starting a wedding photography business. And even though I wasn't a photographer, I was super interested in how they did things. And were you genuinely interested in that? Or did you see this as a tactic to, you know, Get, get a voice inside of a community that clearly would want to have their work featured with you? No, I was genuinely interested. Um, most of my friends who I've met through the internet are photographers. I'm a member of a couple of like Facebook groups that are all photographers. They just happen to be my mates. Um, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know. Have you ever considered becoming a wedding photographer at any point? No, <laughs> because I did, as I said, I did photography at college and I didn't think I was very good at it. So, so after college and uh, like once you have the blog on the go, have you ever posted your own work anywhere or have you just kind of left that behind? Yeah, I, um, 
I got an SLR in like maybe 2009. Um, and I started a feature on my blog called Photography Friday. And like every Friday I was going to post some of my own photos. Um, but then I realized quickly that my I didn't have that many interesting things to take pictures of. And it was mainly like my cats and my shoes and it was kind of boring. So I kind of canned that feature. Um, but, you know, I've always got a camera in my handbag. I have a little Samson point and shoot with a removable lens. Um, now, I always have it in my bag and um, I always try and make my Instagram photos, you know, quite attractive. Um, I'm very into photography, even though I don't really have a desire to be a photographer. I would rather you know, have a great photographer come along and shoot something I need shooting and know that um, I'll get great pictures and I can credit them and help them and whatever. But do you do you have a critical eye? And I mean, you must by now because you see a lot of photography come your way. Do you feel like you developed a, developed a skill for curating shitty photography, even though you're not a <laughs> photographer yourself necessarily? I think so. Um, I can definitely like, you know, look at a photo or a series of photos and know if they're good or not you know if there's some dutch till in there it's gonna go in the bin if there's some spot color it's gonna go in the bin you know um if there's over vintagey filters it's gonna go in the bin um i don't know i look at a lot of photography all day every day so um i'm kind of quite up on the trends i should say and what's i personally think looks nice what are some trends that you wish would have stuck around a little bit longer i mean you you've surely have seen a lot since you started uh back in the day so what are some trends that you that you liked and you wish would have stayed around a little longer with photography I think most of them you look back and you think oh gosh that was awful <laughs> um I don't know I remember like I can't remember what year it is it was maybe 2011 when the kind of like head cropping thing first started um and the kind of quite heavy vintage filters like looking back at that now I think it doesn't look that great but especially in the UK that felt like a very creative time and it was probably the first time that I started featuring UK weddings because at the beginning it was all very much from the states um because that's where the kind of cool photographers and cool weddings seemed to be coming out of at least from what I was seeing online um so I think kind of 2011 was the time when I definitely noticed a shift in UK particularly wedding photographers doing a lot more creative things like cutting people's heads off well yeah or whatever else it was <laughs> I don't know <laughs> as I said now you look back at those trends and you cringe but um at the time it was people were definitely pushing the boat out a bit and thinking outside the box so with with the site now it's grown to be quite large in the industry probably one of the larger wedding blogs that are, are out there like where would you rank its largeness like like how big is your site is it is it the biggest wedding blog there is in terms of in terms of the numbers i'm not talking about like staff members or or net income or anything like that but as far as like the general like traffic goes where would you rank your site um in the uk i would say i was one of the top three um in terms of worldwide I would kind of put myself below Stalmy Pretty, Ruffled, Green Wedding Shoes. Maybe kind of just underneath those, maybe. I mean, I don't know what everyone else's traffic is, but I can imagine that Stalmy Pretty is millions and millions of people. <laughs> you're holding your own then with, with the, the heavy hitters, but you're doing it on your own. As far as wedding blogs that are, you know, done on their own, like like what you're doing, are you the biggest in that area, would you say, or...? Are there ones that are still larger and sort of on the top of the totem pole? I don't think so. I think I'm probably one. I mean, I'm trying to think of any other wedding blogs that are just one or have Gareth as well. So two technically people um, just doing it on their own like that. And I would probably say that there aren't. As far as I'm aware, all the big ones have teams of people. So you're the biggest then? I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious. And I'm if sort of like, so. I just want to hear you say I'm the biggest. I'm the biggest. I'm the best. Rock and Roll Bride rules. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. With Rock and Roll Bride now, it, it is just you. And that that's sort of what the direction I was hoping to take this a little bit. Like, it is just you, but it is also so big that it, it's a brand upon itself at this point. Have you ever considered selling it? No. 
or, or growing it or doing anything like, you know, make the empire a little bit larger, but step away yourself. So we have the print magazine now, which um, came about. I'll give you the very short version. Um, Gareth and I produced a self-published print magazine. Um, the first issue we gave away for free at a wedding fair. Um, it was so popular that we thought we'd do another one. And the second one and the third one, we just sold exclusively through the website and we did it all ourselves. So I have a graphic designer who works, you know, freelance with me. Um, she designed it and then we printed it and Gareth would go to the post office every week and post them out. Um, we did that for a couple of years. And then I decided that I wanted to stop doing it because... A, it was a lot of work. B, I was very busy and I thought, do I really have time to produce a whole nother magazine on my own? Um, and C, it didn't make that much money, unfortunately, even though people loved it. Um, print has got very small margins. Print is fucking expensive. <laughs> um, so we were going to get rid of it. And then I put a blog post up on my site about how I was going to stop doing this magazine. And within 20 minutes, I'd had a call from a publishing company saying you're crazy to stop doing this there's a market for it we'll produce it for you um so now basically it's a bi-monthly magazine i am the editor so i write most of the content but i also have um friends that write freelance stuff for me and basically giraffe media who are the publishers produce it so i work with their team their designers you know their ad sales team um their distribution company and they basically put it in the shop so there's definitely a larger team there. So, so your your brand has grown organically, basically. Definitely. And that's um, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, I have had people, you know, offer to be my PA and offer to do admin and ask if I want writers for the website, and they'll work for free. They just want the experience, but really, that's not the kind of business I want to run. And I like that I am in control of my own destiny, and I think you can it can seem like having a big team is the dream, but really the more people you bring in, the more complicated it gets. And I often think it's a lot easier just to do something yourself rather than train someone else to do it and then maybe have to fix it when they don't do it as well as you'd want it to be done. Yeah, it's it's uh, it lowers the risk when you do it yourself, but it's also a lot more work. So I'd imagine you don't get a lot of hours of sleep because it seems you're very busy. Yeah, I mean, I love it. There's nothing else I'd want to do. So I, I don't like feel bad that I'm having to do emails all the time. Like I genuinely love it and I wouldn't want to do anything else. And I think when you bring other people in, it gets a whole heap of extra stress trying to admin stuff. And even with, you know, the magazine, there's been a definite learning curve with handing stuff off to other people. Handing stuff off to other people to create the final product, you mean? Yeah. Or just like knowing how other people communicate and how people work and how things are done properly, you know, it's it's a learning curve. It's the right, you know, it's the only way the magazine would be able to happen. And I'm very happy with how it's going, but I wouldn't want that to be my whole business. Like I'm happy the blog just being me at the moment. At the moment, you have Rock and Roll Bride, the blog. And you have Rock and Roll Bride, the magazine, and you also have Blog Cat Me, right? Yes. So for someone who's never heard of that, what is it? So Blog Cat Me um, is a two, well, it started as a two-day workshop. It's basically me and two of my blogger friends, Gala Darling, who I mentioned earlier. Um, she's from New Zealand. She lives in New York. And um, she kind of runs a lifestyle blog where she writes about, you know, her life and stuff, but also um, writing about self-love and empowering women and all that good stuff. Um, and then Shauna Hyder, she is a graphic designer from Portland. Um, she's my graphic designer. She was my graphic designer before we became kind of real life friends. Um, all three of us kind of knew each other on the Internet. Gala and Shauna had were, had met in person a couple of times. Um, we met in Vegas in 2012. I was actually there for WPPI. Um, and I went to like two talks and the rest of the time I just hang out in Vegas because Vegas is awesome. Um, and we, because we're bloggers and we all run blogs, we naturally just spoke about blogging all week. And we kind of were talking about, you know, conferences and how there's, you know, all these cool events like WPPI or well, WPPI used to be cool. Uh, way up north, I should say. That's the next WPPI. Yeah, man. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that yet, but, you know, we have big dreams. But anyways, back to you, back to you. Yeah. 
Um, it will be, but it wasn't there in 2012, so it was WPPI we were talking about, um, about how there was lots of stuff for photographers and other creators, but there wasn't really anything for bloggers or people that wanted to use blogging to grow their career. Um, there were some big kind of blogging conferences, but they were very, you know, grey and all about like SEO and that kind of boring stuff and full of dudes, no offence, but, you know, the women wanted something fun and sparkly. Um so we were like, let's do a workshop. And I'd been doing a workshop in the UK by myself, um, just a very small kind of afternoon thing. It was like a four hour long get together. Um, and we were like, yeah, we can totally do a workshop and we'll do one in New York and it'll be amazing. So um, we launched it and it sold out in a couple of days. Um, we did it and we really loved it. And we were like, fuck, let's do another one. So we did one in London. We actually did two in London because the one in London sold out so fast. Um, and then we just kept doing more basically because the demand was definitely there um and then this year in what month was it god january the end of january we launched an online version of the course so we'd had a lot of people saying for years you know ever since we launched oh i really want to come but you know i have kids and i can't travel or it's a bit too expensive or i can't get the time off work um can you do it online and for a long time we resisted because we were like oh the real beauty is you know, being in the same room together and, you know, getting your questions answered and all that kind of stuff, getting that one-on-one -on -one feedback. But, you know, we had so many people that wanted an online version that we were like, right, let's try and figure out how to make this happen. Um, so we did, and we launched that in January, and it's been pretty successful too. So we now have two offerings, basically the same content, but one in person and one online. Um, and this year our plans are to produce some more, you know, mini workshops and different in-person events and stuff all around kind of blogging and the internet and stuff. So if I sat down with the three of you at this course for a day, like what would I leave with? What practical things would, would I leave the course with? So, yeah, we wanted everything to be really practical because a lot of the information you read about blogging is like, you know, you need to have a Twitter and post consistently and all that obvious stuff. And um, we wanted to give people really practical lessons that they could go away with. So we basically cover everything from, you know, what your blog should look like layout wise and why um, to what makes good content and why, why things are popular, um, how to write a really good about page. People seem to struggle with that a lot. Um, the importance of great photos on your blog when you know where you can get photos you're able to use and where you can't um, we have a whole big section on branding obviously Shauna's a graphic designer so she talks through the steps of building a brand we uh, uh, talk about still life photography about taking product photography uh, probably be a bit basic for actual photographers but for people that aren't photographers it's very useful um, we talk about social media we talk about making money obviously how you can make money through advertising how you can use your blog to sell your own products um how you and why you might want to collaborate with brands and... okay so you cover a lot of a lot of shit a lot of shit yes. and and at this workshop if you call it, i guess you call it a workshop right yeah what's your your greatest comp contribution to it like from rock and roll bride like what's your greatest strength it sounds like you have the designer for example and and her greatest strength would be the design but what is your greatest strength I think I'm quite good at giving the no bullshit answers to things. Like, I've been to a lot of workshops or events where it all seems a bit airy-fairy and arbitrary, and I'm quite practical. And I don't want to give people false hope and think that it's going to be easy and they just do this one thing or they, you know, go out and find themselves and they'll create this amazing blog. Like, there's a lot of, like, practical things you have to do. Um, one of the things we do in all of our live classes is we give people a report card on their individual blogs. So beforehand, um, we go look at their sites and give them some feedback of what they can do better and what, you know, is doing good already. And I think that's really important that they get that personal feedback. Okay, listening to what you're saying here, the, the thought just struck me that you say that your greatest strength and greatest contribution would be the no bullshit angle. And then I thought, and I thought back to your confidence level that you mentioned earlier when, when you were a teen. So if you combine your no bullshit and your, your confidence level, which wasn't that high when you were, when you were younger, sounds to me like maybe your greatest strength would almost be like a motivational speaker or someone who's good with psychology. And so leaving the workshop with, with the three of you, maybe you would be the one who contributes to a good mental state of people who want to have a blogging business? 
maybe i mean i think gala's actually better than, better at me than that she's you know that's kind of what she does empowering women and self-love and things like that um but yeah i mean i can definitely contribute in that way but i think she's better at it than i am i'm gonna poke you a little bit more about this then because i'm really curious so no bullshit that would be like your greatest strength and that's cool but like what practical things would you would you bring to the table sounds like now okay sounds like now you have a designer as one of the three members of the team someone who's sort of an empowering women motivational speaker part of the team so then comes to you again what 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 do you think would be your greatest strength other than no bullshit give me a no bullshit answer about what your greatest strength is (laughs) um you know i think i've been doing this a long time been doing it eight years um I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm quite I'm definitely an open book as you've probably told you know can tell from this interview um if someone asks me a question I will answer it um and I will give them an honest answer about things I've struggled with or how things actually are um and I think people need that it can be hard to hear that it's not going to be all fairies and unicorns but I think, you know, I can give them, give it to them straight, basically. Not in a mean way, just in a, you know, practical way. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you're wearing the entrepreneur hat and it took a long time and it sounds like it was a, an interesting journey to get there mm-hmm. to where you're wearing the hat of an entrepreneur. Uh, you started as someone in, as producing in, in a television show and then you became a blogger, uh, a half-assed photographer. So you walked away from that, a magazine publisher, workshops now so you're wearing an entrepreneur hat at the moment like do you look ahead to what your next entrepreneurial ventures might be um i haven't got any concrete plans at the moment um you know i think a lot of the time people look oh she's launched a magazine and she's launched a web uh, you know a blogging workshop and what's she going to do next but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on both those ventures you know things often appear to be an overnight success but there's a lot of work that goes into them behind the scenes and um you know the magazine particularly isn't exactly where i want it to be yet um you know so there's definitely a lot of work that still needs to go into that so that's where i'm focusing my energy and once that's you know a complete sellout and i'm a millionaire from that then i'll move on to the next thing but i'm not just yet what about film and television and I ask that because it, you already have experience with it. Your personality is big. It, to me, it seems big. At least your online personality is. And I've seen you on things like Airbnb's YouTube channel. So you dabble in those waters. Do you, do you see a future for you in, in that area? It's definitely something I would do. Um, I have had you know production companies come to me and say, we love your blog. We want to turn it into a television show. We want you to be a presenter on a show about X. And it never turns into anything like... I guess the commission stage is tough. Um, it's something I'd definitely be open for. It's not something I'm probably going to pursue myself, not at the moment anyway. Um, but if the opportunity came to me, I would go down that route, definitely. I don't want to be the next, you know, big YouTube star. I thought you wanted it to be the next Oprah. <laughs> the, pink, the pink-haired <laughs> British Oprah. We'll see. I mean, I would. I wouldn't turn it down. Absolutely. So today... Are you happy today? Yes. You're in a good state today? Yes. Beautiful. So you're coming to Sweden. Yes. What are you looking forward to about coming to Sweden? Um, So I've never been to Sweden, so I'm excited to visit somewhere new. I've done a lot of traveling over the past couple of years with the Blog Academy workshop. So um, I've really enjoyed that. I was never really into traveling before. And now I've found how cool it is that any excuse to go somewhere new is you know, great. So I'm just looking forward to being someone new and experiencing a different culture. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to the other speakers. Um, I have been to quite a lot of kind of photography based conventions and workshops myself. So I always enjoy them. Um, Even though they're not directly applicable to me, the lessons, I can always take something from listening to someone that I admire um, and seeing how they've done things. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm not really looking forward to standing on stage 
just yet. <laughs> I'm still very, very nervous about that, but we'll see how it goes. I'm sure it will be fine. And afterwards, I'm looking forward to afterwards when I've done it and I'm like, yay, it's done. <laughs> well, it's only 500 people, so I'm sure you'll oh, be fine. Oh, no pressure. It's only the biggest audience I've ever spoken to. Have you done a lot of public speaking? Um, so I've done a lot, obviously, with the Blog Academy, but that's like 30 people. So it's a bit different. Um, the first ever workshop I did there, I was, you know, really, really nervous. And now it's a piece of piss. Um, I've done a few things. I've done some panels with Cosmopolitan magazine. I did a talk with the British Journal of Photography, which is actually my first ever public speaking job, which is like, well, it's no pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, the biggest audience I've done is probably 200. I was in Germany last year, at the end of last year, talking to people in the wedding industry there about blogging. And that was very nerve wracking because of the language barrier as well. Um, but it was fine. People seemed to like it. So so I'm, one question that came to mind was your your whole world sounds, or not your whole world, metaphorically, your whole world is blogging. Do you really believe that blogging is that vital for running an online business now? I do. And I think the problem is, especially if you're not a full-time blogger, like you're a photographer, for example, you're very busy doing everything else that comes around with that. And blogging is the thing that goes down the bottom of the pile. Um, and it's a lot easier to upload things to Instagram or upload things to Facebook. But the problem with that is you don't own that. Facebook could shut down tomorrow and all of your marketing would be gone. Um, and I think by having your own blog and your own little corner of the internet that you can completely control, um, it's a lot, it's a better way of doing it. I mean, you should do all the other things too, but I think the reason people put it off so much is they don't get the instant response that they get from say, putting something on Instagram, um, you know, in terms of likes or whatever, people might read your blog, but not bother to comment. In fact, they probably won't comment these days because most people, most people don't ever bother to comment on blogs. So it feels like you're just putting things out into the ether for no reason. Um, so I think that's a big hurdle for a lot of people, but I think it is really important to have your own blog or website where you upload your own work, you know? Um, and you never know what might happen to these social networks. They might go the way of MySpace. Couldn't you say the same for WordPress? Or for example, I mean, that's who you host your site on, I think, but couldn't you say the same for these types of platforms? I mean, my blog is hosted on the WordPress software. Yeah, that's right. And you probably have uh, you have a host like Blue Bluehost or HostGator or something like that. So that's the actual host. But the platform which you're working from, WordPress in this case, couldn't that just be wiped away as well? I mean, I get what you're like. I understand what you're saying. Like social media sites like Instagram and Twitter and all that. Those are those are platforms that definitely could be wiped away. But so could WordPress. So I guess I'm curious. Um, about how reliant you sh a brand should actually be on a blog. Is it as important as, as, you, as you're saying, do you think? Or are there other channels equally as important that you, that you can vouch for? I mean, I think you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket as well. Like it's good to spread yourself across all these different networks and places to promote yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, if WordPress went, went tomorrow, I would still own my content and I could you know, put it back on my own, you know, my own website with a different software. All right. Fair enough. How, how has creating content changed for you since you started? And what, what came to mind just now was long form content. Like, like, do you, do you see yourself doing that or, or do you feel like this high frequency of blogging that you're, that you have been doing is a, a path you'll continue going down? Um, sorry, can you ask the question again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, I'm curious about uh, like long form content like a, a vice magazine editorial for example like like long form content to me is something that that a viewer would expect to come in a lower frequency um but but maybe the the content itself would be more meticulous and valued if you want to say so that that's what i meant yeah 100 percent. like um i blog like twice a day um most of them are just real weddings which don't take that long for me to do um and at least once a week i try and do a longer form advice post those are the kind of posts that take more time to do and more effort to do but they're the ones that get the most engagement um because people ultimately go to blogs and the internet because they want to be helped with things and inspiration will only take you so far um those kind of more advice longer form blog posts are the ones that really build your 
audience and keep them loyal. And they are the hardest to write, but they are the most important. And I think, you know, if someone is struggling for time with blogging, then even if you're just blogging, you know, once every two weeks and it's a really good, helpful post, that will get you further than blogging every day and it being just crap. If you blog twice a day, I think you're out of your fucking mind. I couldn't imagine, <laughs> in a good way, in a good way, because I couldn't imagine how difficult that must be. I mean, yeah, but that's what I do. I'm not out shooting weddings at the same time. Fair I'm play. just blogging. <laughs> Fair play. All right, Kat, thank you very much for speaking. I won't take too much more of your time. I know you're a very busy lady. That's fine. Thank you for having me. But uh, we're very much looking forward to having you in Sweden. And say hello to Gareth. I will. All right. Well, thank you very much for this conversation, Kat. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. So that's Kat. Can't wait to see what she comes up with for the conference. Only about five months to go now until the doors open for the first ever Way Up North event. That's pretty exciting. If you're coming to Stockholm and you haven't already, we recommend you get on those accommodation bookings. It's always good to be out early to make sure you get the best spots. Uh, in the next episode, two weeks from today, we'll hear Fer Juaristi, or the Mexican monkey as he calls himself. Fer is an amazing photographer, he swears a lot, and he has a great accent, so definitely check that one out. It's available in Acast and iTunes June 17th. So yeah, thanks for listening to this episode and uh, talk soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.